0: Today on the Dance Music Diaries, I chat with Chicago DJ and producer T. Mixwell. T is a resident DJ of Spork and Shimmy in Chicago, owner of the record label Beat Thesis, and has a growing catalog of releases under a belt on a variety of respected house music labels. Her recent releases include the Tasted EP on Ficus Tree Music, Say My Name EP on Pluralistic Records. Funk Bump Let's Go EP on Beat Thesis Records. Those are out now on TrackSource and Beatport. Make sure you check those out. Uh, Upcoming, keep an eye out for the Celebrating 10 Years of Native Soul Recordings EP out on Native Soul Recordings. That's coming out uh, this month, uh, January of 2018. And keep an eye out for the Do It For Me EP on Natural Rhythm Music. That's out in February of 2018. You can catch her playing out on uh, January 9th and January 16th. For after work sessions at Local in Chicago. January 19th, Tomorrow Never Knows at Smart Bar in Chicago. Again, January 23rd and 27th for the after work sessions at Local. January 30th, she's playing a fundraiser at Local. January 24th, it's Shimmy, also at Local. And then September 9th, she'll be in Las Vegas for Nacho House. You can keep up with all of her gigs and releases by following her website, tmixwell.com. That's T. M-I-X-W-E-L-L dot com. Again, a big thanks to T. Thank you for sharing your story, and let's start the episode.
1: The Dance Music Diaries.
0: dance music diaries cool well let's just jump in. Uh, so T, how did you first get involved with dance music?
1: Um I got first involved with dance music and this may sound well actually I don't care how it sounds. Uh I've my first experience with dance music was actually roller skating. And it was when I was a preteen teenager going into the late eighties, early nineties And roller skating and jam skating to a bunch of different tunes, like, and it was more, um, kind of like Stevie B, um, fast Eddie, um, like heartthrob house, kind of like heartthrob (laughs) kind of music. Um, freestyle don't stop the rock. Um, it it was, it was more, it was like a lot more faster and fun. And, um, you also did stuff, you know, that was done. Uh, done by um you always get backwards skate to stuff that was had a good beat to it that ranged anywhere from uh house music all the way to back to like i said going back to uh like uh, farley jack master funk being played on the on the dance floor sure um so that was my first experience with house music um but my real first i think touch with it was my brother when i was a kid and he tried was trying to teach himself how to dj and in the other room you can hear the music and I remember my dad saying oh here goes your brother and playing this, this music and so i would listen to it and one track really stuck out to me the most and the track that stuck out to me the most was the loosest french kiss it was one of the tracks he tried to blend the most but it was something that drew me into that track that i didn't know then later on i would understand a little bit more what drew me in to that track um just the the sense and the vocals, and just the way the tracks the track went from um, it took such a path of emotion. It just at that point it was just you know it started off and then the vocals kicked in and then it went up and went up and then it went down and then it went back up and then it went down, it went down low again and it was kind of like a mountain mountainous type of <laughs> track. Um, and to this day, that track is still my favorite track of all time. <laughs> it's still my favorite track it just it just builds so nicely and just it just has so much emotion in it for me at least being so young and at first not knowing how to describe what i was hearing and then getting into the rave days and started going to parties and warehouses and listening to uh derrick back in the old days justin long mark out maria um i could go on and on about different rave djs <laughs> but, yeah but going into there and uh experiencing the music at Raves and that's when I had definitely grasp of what I was listening to and what the sound was and getting into the culture of it. Even as little River kids with fat bottom pants and candy bracelets and all the rest of that stuff, um, still at least understood like wow, okay, this is what house music is, this is what brings people together, this is what the culture is. And that so, was
0: and this was in Chicago.
1: Yeah, it was in Chicago. And then from Chicago when we went and did uh, we went to parties. We would start going all over. We start going down to St. Louis, and we start going to Indianapolis, and we start going to Ohio, and we kind of did like a little tour of different parties that we wanted to go to. And this lasted probably about maybe three, four years, something like that.
0: And when you say we, um, is you mean like your party crew?
1: Yeah, me and my little crew. Yeah. <laughs> they have no name specifically. We didn't have a name. Yeah, uh, of the, the name of a crew or anything. Just me and a whole bunch of my best friends to this day just went around at different parties and one would drive and we'd all jump in the car and we'd be ready to go see the next person. We go to see German base. We go to see house. So how did C-House. you find
0: yourself at your first like actual what you would call a rave?
1: <laughs> Funny. I was attracted to the flyer and had no idea what the what the party was. It was called um and I I had no idea what a rave was, so it had rave crispies is what the the flyer said. And it was a bowl of the Rice Krispie guys and a bowl of just like different alphabet letters that were in the bowl. That's
0: <laughs> and so funny,
1: yeah, it was. And of course, I have no clue what this is, but I'm like, oh, this is a little fun fire, like, this is, this is cool. So, uh, let's check. Blaine, uh, he was the first one that ever introduced me to house music. We go to this thing and it's just hundreds of people in a warehouse and you can go on one end of there with a main stage, like one end and you're hearing Paul Johnson play and you can go on the other end and you can be listening to Phantom 45 or diesel boy. And you can go to another side where you go to techno and you can hear, uh, Frankie, uh, not Frankie knuckles, (laughs) but you can hear Frankie, uh, was it uh, bones? Yeah, Frankie Bones and a bunch of them play. It was it was so mixed up, so diverse, and it it just kind of it stimulated the mind to none nonetheless <laughs> because there were so many different rooms and so many different stages you could go to, and that's where I actually grew the friends that I had that I started to go to these parties with. We just
0: we we met, we so you, connected. So you we just went to that first party by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. I can't. I can't even imagine what that must have been like walking into you know to a rave in the Midwest in the '90s by yourself without really no understanding what you were walking into. That's a that's a heavy lift.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's in, and not and not even like I said. No, you know, everyone's like, "Oh, I came to see Paul John. I came to see PJ. Yeah, I came to see him." And I'm like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, okay."
0: You're like, like I came for Rice Krispies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> i came for like yeah and then you know there's a certain amount of ease in the bowl and i'm like not understanding it and <laughs> it oh, was so really funny. yeah it was funny be said when i look back on it how i actually started to rate go to raves a friend mentioned he showed me the fire and yeah he'd me that night so i just went by myself and
0: yeah and I had what, and what year though. what year is that party
1: this was 94 okay maybe Ninety
0: three ninety four. Very cool. So yeah, I mean that's uh, that time frame in the Midwest, I mean there's the thing going on.
1: Yeah, it was really cooking then. <laughs> yeah. During the nineties. Yeah. Parties were being thrown everywhere. Roller skating rings down down at uh, Route sixty six to the Dalton to Chicago and I remember seeing Colette sing in a the bottom of a where, bottom of a warehouse was just cement all surrounding us like kind of like in a basement of a warehouse
0: mm-hmm.
1: i i remember uh seeing justin long going so crazy and going so into the music with, and and hearing tracks go so into the music you know it felt like it was they're they gonna take that vinyl and just throw it against the wall and just break it and it was like the the uh uh, yeah, it was, it was all over the, the warehouses and the, the different venues. Normally, stayed the same that we went to, and but when I stayed, of course, it was always a crapshoot. It was always sometimes in Indianapolis when we went to most time they were in hotels, hotel like banquet halls. It was really oh, wow. yeah, which was kind of nutty because you're walking around with people that are there to stay at the hotel and have their family, very family oriented, and then you see a bunch of kids walk in. <laughs> going into a banquet room and going to see here DJ Skip, and they don't understand that. They're kind of looking at us like, "Cause you're weird, because you're just dressed head to toe and just you know what, 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 what it was then. Yeah. What it was was like I said, the fat pants and the and the the, the bracelets and the shirts and the Jenkos and.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's that's so funny. I, I can't even imagine like a hotel banquet. I mean, you have businessmen that are waking up for their continental breakfast, and and you know you're you're just shutting the party down. So <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was kind of like they had a remember they had a party in Chicago that was across the street from a church. So in the morning when we woke up, we saw these. We saw people coming out of church. And we're coming out you know i squinted because it's been so it's so bright outside we've been we've been in a, in a warehouse we've been away talking i mean i've even gone to a rave in a church before on the west side of chicago <laughs> so but it was so weird just in contrast of just coming out and seeing like people from church looking at us and then being like oh okay this is crazy this is <laughs> weird <sweet."
0: laughs> that's funny all right, so you so you spent a couple years, you know, just going to parties. I mean, how quickly, how how long did it take before you decided that you know you wanted to be the one behind the decks? Um, probably
1: two thousand two, two thousand three.
0: Oh wow! Okay, so you were going to parties for a while.
1: Yeah, parties for a while, and then well, I should say if you go back and if you look at you know when did I really start getting into DJing was like two thousand. I, I had a pair of Went out and got a pair of Gemini belt-driven tables, and I remember, you know, everyone's like, "All oh, those are a piece of crap." And I'm like, "Well, I'm trying to learn, and I'm trying to do the best I can." And you know, this is well, this is within my means, so this is what I do. And I remember my brother telling me, you know, put pennies on top of the <laughs> on top of the needles so that it gets the weight down. And the pennies weren't working, so I remember using quarters <laughs> and <laughs> and teaching myself how to play and how to how to blend out how to, how to blend into one song to the other it was very difficult but by 2002 2003 i had mastered the belt driven part of it which is the most difficult part if anyone has ever played on belt driven turntables like nowadays i know kids are probably like belt who but i mean these were a pair of hard plastic oh
0: yeah <laughs>
1: gemini turntables I knew and, so many uh,
0: people who had those exact same Gemini turntables. They come in a box, both of them in one box.
1: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I know the ones. <laughs> yeah. Not like, not like when you, you, you can't, you know, you lift the 1200 with one arm and you could get a workout. These were just like, whoa, whoop, flip and they'd be done. <laughs> so you had to make sure that you took extra care, special care of them too, at the very same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but I made that that transition probably about like four years after I started going to parties and then started actually going to 18 and up events at the Metro and things like that. And I've seen Basement Jacks. And I think that's really what was the catalyst for me to really want to do it, like seeing <clears throat> a lot of these a lot, a lot of live performances towards the end of going to events and, and really saying, OK, I want to I want to be able to make people feel what I feel. When I listen to music, I want I want to be able to take a piece of my soul and give it to someone and give it to a bunch of people at the same time. And, I, and hopefully I can put them where I am for an hour, two hours, three hours. I want them to, you know, feel the, feel the, feel the music. They want to feel it, but I want to try to convey it so that they understand it and that they feel it. And being so I come from a musical background, like a very musical background, classical come from from that and so coming from that background and comparing it to house music it's the same you put had to, you had to put you know your your heart and soul into that whatever instrument i played i played baritone french horn trumpet tuba, <laughs> to going and you had to put you know a lot of your soul into that same thing with house music it's taking a lot of your soul and your and your and the love and the appreciation that you have for 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 music and spreading that out to people and if you can give a person just an inch of what you're feeling from that moment it's incredible and you can see it in their faces and it lights up like a light bulb it's like yeah like they feel it so i've seen so many different djs do that and that's after seeing basement jacks i think that was what really just clicked to me like oh that's it i need to i need to learn how to dj
0: yeah i mean i've I've definitely had those spiritual experiences on the dance floor, right? And and that's and that's what you're talking about. I mean, a lot of people. It's it sounds cheesy and cliche to say, but for a lot of folks, that is their church. You know, the dance floor. So that's a, that's powerful to hear you say that. Um, so after that basement Jacks gig that you saw, um, I mean, was it? Did it start with DJing and then move into production, or did you did you decide that you needed to produce along with it? What was the timeline there?
1: started all all djing all djing until about 20 08, 2009 okay that's when i started fiddling around with production nothing was put out or anything like that i just started to realize that i want you know make the music that people dance to yeah and another way to give them you know a, a piece of what you're feeling a piece of your soul to them yeah and um you know who you know everyone thinks you know it. Sounds so easy to make a track. <laughs> it's not really that easy to sit down and and to learn the different programs and to, you know, inch by inch teach yourself how to do this. And you're I got I got I had help from my peers. Um I had some really good mentors that helped me along the way with production and they still help me to this day. Um, but it was around that time is when I said, Okay, I really need to start fiddling around with sounds and and different loops and things like that to try to figure out, you know, how to put a track together and how you how you want the the the, the environment of the track to go.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. Um,
1: but that but that took a couple years. Yeah, <laughs> it's a steep years.
0: it's a steep learning curve for sure. Um, so, okay. So back to, we'll definitely get to the production stuff. I want to dig into that quite a bit. Um, but so it sounds like you were DJing for a while before you started producing. Um, so do you, I mean, do you remember your first gig? Is that memorable for you?
1: (laughs) Oh, yes, it is. I first gig was I played, uh, in Milwaukee at a venue called, Think it was Red Dragon or Little Dragon it was a it was a really cool little local spot in Milwaukee and I got booked to play there and it was horrible oh, no. <laughs> I train wrecked I train wrecked everywhere I was so nervous I was sweating my palms were sweaty I had my vinyl out because that then I the format I played on was vinyl so I remember like my hands being so sweaty that they were slipping on the record, and when I'm trying to go and pull it back, it was just, it was, oh wow, that gate was just something. And it, was, it was, you know, so it, go, it was really, you know, having the first experience from going outside. Your bedroom to going to a live live situation to play, and just the pressure was so much that it was horrible. The first, then so I so I stopped for probably a good couple months and said, okay, I need to get over stage fright. (laughs) I need to get over that first and foremost, and then I know I can, you know, play to the ability that I know how to play. And then the second gig was also in Milwaukee, but it was at a venue called Three, that's no longer there anymore. And I played there, and it was awesome. People bouncing off the walls. Bar was hopping. People screaming, jumping up, and yelling. No more played. train wrecks. Yeah, no more train wrecks. Yeah, <laughs> no more train wrecks. Um And it was also a set that I think maybe the difference was between my first set and and the second set that I played was that I rehearsed the first set to the point where I think it got me confused. Whereas the second set I played, I said, I'm just getting up here and I'm taking a bunch of these records that I love and I'm just going to play them and I'm going to play them how I want to play them. And it went over well, like I'm going to play it towards the crowd, of course, but I'm going to work the crowd in a way to take them on a journey. And that's when my method of, playing on a journey began was my second gig was understanding and seeing people saying, Yeah, I like the way that, you know, it started off deep and then, you know, you went to house and then you just started jacking us crazy and, you know, you started pulling out kind of old you know, tracks that I haven't heard in a long time since since we were roller skating. You pulled out Fast Eddie and you pulled out some stuff that was, you know, really deep in the crate. You know, you pulled out some Frankie Knuckles and you know, you you went and you played some techno and you played some minimal and you brought it back down and because I, I have a motto that's beats with no boundaries. I play anything and everything. So it was so it was really that was my first experience where I I I knew that I had I had kind of gotten down my craft a lot more and where I wanted to take a crowd.
0: Yeah. Beats without boundaries. I like that. I haven't heard that before yeah i mean
1: it it shouldn't be it shouldn't you shouldn't expect DJ to get up there unless they specifically say they play one genre uh, you should, they should be it should be multi yeah you should be able to take them on like i, I can even play drum and bass i mean it's it, it it goes that far like where if i need to go and play drum and bass i'll play drum and bass if you play hip-hop you play hip-hop if you play house house but i feel like you know, you should, it feels good to go and have no boundaries with the beats because then you're able to go in in and out and, and, you know, kind of make that blanket and, you you know, be able to do what you want to do with it and go in and out and in and out with it, weave in and out. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So the the majority of the stuff you play, though, falls within kind of the realm of, of four on the floor, though, does it not?
1: Um, yeah. Real four on the floor, real hard, really bassy. Uh, four on the floor, really hard kicks and bass. Yeah, yeah. Really, People describe my style as really, it, it is unconventional. You know, concoctions of house, techno, minimal. Okay. Because it, I could play something that's minimal and it could sound like it's four on the floor. I can play something that's techno, and it's it's four on the floor. It's boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. But it has to have that just that. It's, it's, it just has to have that baseline that just grabs you. It's like, oh, like just grabs you like right in the middle of you. <laughs> like not just, it, there's a part I always say that when you hear track and it's like, Oh, like it just went inside you and just kind of grabbed you and, and turned that one spot right in the middle of your heart, like down in between, like your gut. And. Oh man, that, that feeling. <laughs> it's that, that oh, but Yeah yeah so i play a lot of four on the floor yeah a lot, a lot a lot of a lot of beat type of music
0: so and have you so the for the majority of your um career in dance music that's kind of the sound you've you've focused on more or less right
1: yeah i did when i started off i played disco and then i played yeah well, still was four on the floor, and then mm-hmm. funky house and then um 2010 was when i just decided to say beats with no boundaries and i'm gonna play it all no matter what it is and it's and and mix it in and not have a boundary with it who says i can't play house and techno at the same time who says you can't play minimal and you can't play deep sure (laughs) yeah you know like why why can't you play all that in one set?
0: yeah whatever the whatever the vibe (laughs) requires right
1: yeah exactly
0: so after that second gig it sounds like it went a little bit better for you and, and it's something looking back on i can tell you're a little bit more proud of um were you were you playing out mostly um in in chicago in that area then or, or how long did it take to kind of ramp up for you
1: um it took about after i gotten for some reason booked a lot in milwaukee i'm not <laughs> sure why but I got booked a lot in Milwaukee and then two years after Milwaukee is when I started to get booked for my first Chicago gigs
0: oh interesting um, so you were playing in Milwaukee for a couple years before you ever played in your hometown
1: yes yeah <laughs> well, yeah
0: which did is you, very interesting did you just know some promoters out there or
1: um I knew yeah new promoters just through going to different events doing yeah. different venues because that, at that point you know you're of age to be able to go and play in bars and clubs and things like that so um and I had met a lot of promoters that were from Madison, Wisconsin, or Milwaukee, or Sheboygan, or Fond du Lac, or Green Bay, um, Oshkosh. <laughs> it was name a town in Wisconsin, and I guarantee you I've probably played it. No, so funny. No, matter how far, no matter how far out it is, I've, I've played it. And so for two years, I did like a – it just was a roundabout tour of playing Milwaukee uh, – Oshkosh, Appleton, Sheboygan, uh, Green Bay, Fond du Lac, Madison, uh, Kenosha. Then going around again and doing the same things again, maybe in a different order, and doing festivals out in Madison, or doing little uh, summertime little set festivals that they would have in Milwaukee, and uh, and then st- then playing also the the rave scene, and they, that was that was different too because now you're playing for the kids that you used to be. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> it used to be yeah so i got booked a lot so like after two years then i got booked in Ch- in chicago
0: okay interesting and so um your your first gigs in chicago um where where were you playing
1: Uh first gig in chicago was at street sides no longer there but it was on the corner of armitage and damon i want to say um but michael Lacey threw a night um, there and he had he had heard a mix that I did, and asked if I could come down and play a set and play two hours. And I told him sure, and went there in a little pub. Um, had a little dance floor to it, a lot of seating. They served food indoors and outdoors. Had a patio, mm-hmm. had everything opened up. And uh, I played a two-hour set there. Uh, it took me a it took me a long time to convert from wax to digital. I don't, <laughs> I was stubborn, but it took me a while. So I was still playing vinyl at that point too. Um, and and people what year over that? To the CDs. This was probably 20. Yeah. Like 2010, 2011. Okay. That is. Leap. Yeah.
0: Yeah. To make that leap. So you're, so you're still in hauling flight cases around that whole time, huh?
1: Oh yeah. The whole time I was probably one of the last dinosaurs to, <laughs> <laughs> we had to actually go over to digital i was at first so stubborn nope nope i want to play vinyl i want to play this i love vinyl you know this is the original format it's authentic i love the way it sounds i love the crackle i love the way you know it it sounds when you play it out and the, the you know i loved everything about it snap yeah. crackle pop everything yeah. and then it just became a point where i started getting gigs so more readily that the 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 format they would have you play on would be CDJs. It wouldn't be twelve like hundreds anymore. The twelve hundreds would be in the corner, and they have dust on. And they're like, "We well, really don't hook those up anymore, but we can." And so the first couple of gigs, they did hook them up for me. I was like, "You know, I really need just to make the transition to digital." Yeah. So it was yeah. It wasn't until probably like 2010, 2011, like when I actually went and started getting really into the digital, the, the uh, CDJs, and using the CDs.
0: Do you still play vinyl at all?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I love it i'll never stop playing vinyl ever <laughs> i'll never stop playing vinyl That's awesome. i still go i still go to a record shop i still buy it <laughs> i still collect it um i still love playing vinyl nights and which they have a a, ha- a good handful of them here in chicago still mm-hmm. um and one of the one of the biggest parties in chicago uh queen is based off of uh the, the first two djs actually play all vinyl and their employees of gramophone one of them uh it's a co-owner, I believe, of a Gramophone. And don't quote me on that. I guess should say, but, um, but yeah, they play vinyl. And then there's Thursday night that they do all vinyl formats. So yeah, then there's the drum and bass nights they do. That's still all uh, vinyl and CDJs too. So yeah, there's plenty of venues out here that still do both formats. That's,
0: just depends on where you play. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's there. It's rare and rarer that you just see it as you know standard in a club. You know, there's. I'm de- here in Seattle too. We definitely have specific nights that are dedicated to vinyl, um, or you know, there'll be throwback nights. Or um, I see it a lot more with other genres for whatever reason. Like there's a breaks night that's getting pretty popular that a lot of people go play their old break vinyl. Um, it's just interesting how much things have changed.
1: Yep, it's evolved definitely, <laughs> and I've and I've had to evolve with it whether I've liked it or not. But uh, the the digital age was a blessing because, like you said, then I didn't have to carry around my crates of records or you know even if they were on wheels i didn't have to worry about doing any of that anymore yeah and so that was good and then when i was doing my own nights doing residencies um it really came in handy because i had to buy the cdjs and i before when i had my first residency at a at, at a at a little bar I was bringing my turntables every night, and I'm like, wow, this is so much, so heavy. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I'm like I'm bringing the speakers, I'm bringing my equipment, I'm bringing my mixer, I'm bringing everything with me, and wow. And then when I got the CDJs, the 1000s, MK3s, and I was like, wow, my like, this is great. I'm like, man, I can carry two CDJs in one bag. You have flight case, put the mixer in there. I'm ready to go. Bring a monitor, you know, bring more sound. I can do it because at that time, back then, a lot of the residencies that I had. Um, When I started playing Chicago, probably a year after I started playing Chicago, I've started to get a lot of different nights. I was had residencies at like four different spots in one week weekly. So I was playing Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or I was playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday at different venues. And I was lugging in my 18 inch subwoofers with my 15s with my 12 inch monitors with CJs and a mixer and bringing the microphones and bringing everything and setting it up and then letting everybody play and then breaking it down by myself. And I didn't have anybody helping me. It was just the initiative that I made to jump out there to do it.
0: Yeah. So, so you were throwing the nights basically as well as playing them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was always opening up and then I'd open up and then I would take the DJ. It it really was taking the DJs that were the DJs that were really good, that kind of like the hidden gems in Chicago that nobody really knew about, or they knew, but didn't get the opportunity to play a lot Mm -hmm. and trying to bring them more to the forefront. And uh, for some of them, you know, that still play now. Wow, they've come. They've, they've come miles and miles and miles from where they started, and it's good to see that the, how how their career has built it just from starting those nights and saying it's going to be homegrown, it's going to be local, it's going to be organic. It's not going to be anything that's going to bring anybody else in. I want it to be stuff that people haven't heard before. Someone, I want them to be able to walk away from that night and say, I never knew who he was, but I went to this random night and at this Chinese place and. I met this DJ named T Mixwell and then I met another DJ name at nine or I met DJ <laughs> I, met, I met someone else.
0: Yeah. That's, so yeah, that's awesome. So who were, who were some of the people that were around then?
1: Um, playing at the bigger clubs, you still had, you had Derek, you had Collette, um, Justin Long was doing uh, his night. He was doing Hugo ball out there. um, you also had, you also had the, the, the in Chicago it's where downtown is normally where like a lot of the progressive houses played. Um, so during that time you had progressive DJs down there in, in downtown Chicago on the outskirts of downtown, like in Wrigleyville smart bar, stuff like that. That's when you would hear like the Heathers and the Colette and the Derek and sure. the, um, yeah, you hear a lot of them play those venues. Um, And if you went downtown into there, you would hear all the progressive DJs, all the ones that really, I can't even remember who was even around then, (laughs) (laughs) the music, but it was something that you had to get dressed up to the nine no gym shoes, no jeans, no nothing. You had to get up and get dressed up and to go out. Sometimes it kind of sucks because I remember I wanted to hear Green Velvet one time, and he was playing at this really posh like, nightclub downtown. And we did, had no clue, so we show up, and, you know, we're, we just got a pair of jeans on, a pair of gym shoes, you know, so, you know T-shirt, Star Wars T-shirt on, ready to go, and couldn't get in. <laughs> I'm like, man, wow.
0: That's so frustrating. I have really mixed feelings about dress codes and clubs.
1: I mean, me too. I feel like you're there to get down. Yeah. You know, I'm. I, I, if, if I want to look cool with a drink, I'll go to a lounge.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if, that's, if, that's, if that's what I want to do, I'll go and, you know, go, go to a, like I like right now I'm doing a, after work sessions where it's a lounge. So I'm not playing, like the four on the floor there is all, it's like that. We're playing all down tempo, discos, edits, and deep house. That's it. hmm you know, that's the kind of music where you chill and, you know, you can, you know, you come after work because you dress dressed to the nine or you go out and say, you know what, I'm going to take my girlfriend or my wife out, you know, on Tuesday night to dinner or Wednesday night to dinner and I'm going to go ahead, and just go and, you know, just kind of, you know, look good and chill and just kick it. Okay, cool. But yeah, the, the whole thing, I agree with you with the dress code thing. I mean, that there's... There's a time and a place for everything, but I feel like if you're a DJ, don't you want to see people move and not just sit there and yeah. look at you? Like, I mean, you want to know what, what they're getting out of what you're playing.
0: Right. Well, and for me, too, I mean, I I came up through the rave scene as well. Okay. And so to go from, you know, to go from from illegal warehouse parties to all of a sudden needing to wear a collared <laughs> shirt to see the same DJ seems weird to me.
1: Doesn't it? You know? <laughs> yep. It really does.
0: <laughs> it so, still makes
1: no, no sense to me yeah so i so right now even now I, I uh it's weird if i play venues that are like that where people can't get in because it's the gym no gym shoes no dress code and then here i show up with my my headphone bag with my usb flashes and, <laughs> yeah. and they really can't say much <laughs> they really don't say anything because you're the, you're the DJ, and I'm like I like DJing comfort. I've always been about comfort. Sure. <laughs> I want a DJ in comfort. I want people to be able to get down. I don't want someone you know to. I mean, it's fine if you take your shirt off. Like, get free, get funky, let it go. You know, right. you know, let let it all hang out. But, <laughs> um, you, but you know, when you're in dress pants, letting it all hang out and stuff like that, you still don't look comfortable. <laughs> you still look like you're still kind of moving like a robot a little bit, and you're stiff a little bit you know in comparison if you're in a pair of jeans or or a pair of sweatpants which are what you can go into clubs in Chicago right now and like you go in a sweatsuit And you're completely welcome to go in there it all just depends on the venue that you go to sure but but mo- all the venues that I go to normally are not venues where you have to dress up you just able to go in there and come as you are yeah. so if you're in a pair of sweatpants or you want to wear a I was just playing on uh last Sunday <laughs> And someone showed up in a bunny, a pajama bunny outfit. Nice. And it loved it. <laughs> I was like, this is great. And I'm like, where'd you come from? Oh, I just, you know, just had a jam party and feel like, you know, cut the the, the party off. So decided to bring it over here. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so they all showed up in just fluffy outfits of, for pajamas, like onesies. It was great.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a good onesie party.
1: Nope, not at all. <laughs> you're missing the blankets. That was it.
0: <laughs> all right, <laughs> all right. So you uh, you're playing out four or five nights a week. You're lugging your 18 inch subwoofers around, um, playing you know the Chinese restaurants and things like that. So what was the next move for you? I mean, at what point did you start playing in some of the larger clubs?
1: Um, after about probably yeah, like three or four years after doing my own nights, I took a chance and sent an email to Smart Bar. And I said, you know, I've been doing nights locally around here. I've, you know, gave them some names of the venues. You know, they've been some, you know, long-standing nights with these with these uh, venues. I've been dealing with the clubs, and um, I wanted knew I wanted to take it to the next level. So I sent them the email, asking, you know, would there be a possibility of anything that you guys would, you know, want me to come in and do a night for you? Would a night with you guys, you know, even if it's something that's, you know, not weekly but monthly or bimonthly or however it does. not Ah, uh, Nate Sider, who now is in uh, Oakland, I believe. Uh, he's like, yeah, cool, great. He's like, let's. Uh, why don't you come in? Uh, he goes this following Monday. He's like, in you know, coming to the office and we'll talk about you know the ideas that you have and getting down the concept. And it blew me away because <laughs> I'm like, whoa! That's I awesome. Mean, hear it. Here it goes. Like you know, I've been lugging the stuff around and doing everything underneath the sun, you know, to to get to that point. And then I'm like, I just took a chance. Just took a chance. And what can it hurt? Can't yeah. hurt anything, you know. So just do it. And if you don't get a response, that's fine. At least you tried. You'll try again. But you'll, you know, but, but you know, at least you, at least you tried that one time. And the very first time I sent the email. I, they, it collected interest. He noticed that I have been doing events all around Chicago, and I. he's like, yeah, I've seen you had like four nights a week. He's like, you know, and you're bringing your stuff out. And He's like, I see that, you know, you play anywhere from the north side to the south side. You've done, you know, some outdoor events near lake the Lakefront. You've done this, you've done that. He's like, yeah, you've been everywhere. He's like, you've kind of been the glue to the underground. And it was funny, I have, there's a coin phrase about me in Chicago. One of the things is that, oh, she's the hardest working DJ in Chicago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I used to look around my stuff, and I used to do all that stuff. So I didn't know. I took a chance by doing it, and he took a chance on me by doing it. And I'm forever grateful to him for that, because who knew that from creating the night, I did spork with my – with, a, uh, with a, my co-partner Carla maria we created a party called spork and it was we created name tags and had backdrops and would have other houses from around the country come in and the reason why we had the name tag is because we wanted to bring in that friendly just really feel good vibe where people would feel okay to come up to each other and say hey i see your name is john you know hey john I'm, you know i'm i'm, I'm susan Hey, yeah. So who are you here to hear? Oh, who are you here? Oh, okay. Well, here's all my friends. And oh, so this is, you know, and it, it created a connection between everybody and everyone loved those parties because it was so cool. Like at first, at first someone will walk in, you give them a name tag. They're like, no, nah, I don't want it. And you're like, okay, cool. And then by the end of the night, everybody's got a name tag, and everybody's like, "I see what you guys do. I see what, what you know. What you guys are creating here—it's like, it's like a home, like it, you know—and it's also encouraging people that would normally never talk to talk, so because have, now we.
0: <laughs> I have to ask where the name Spork came from.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it 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 um it it uh the it didn't come from me. It came from um, my co-partner carl his wife it came from her and it was kind of went along with the night kind of like a mixed bag of the night we didn't want to you know specify it as a certain a certain uh certain genre a certain uh a certain way a party would go she thought of you know going through names and she's like fork. what about spork (laughs) and she's like you know it's not a spoon it's not a fork she's like it's it's, you know, she goes, it's like, you know, multifaceted, like, you know, utensil.
0: Sure. Like hard to so define.
1: You, yeah. You know, so it's something that, you know, you guys can mold and make into whatever you want to as the night, as those night, as the residency progresses. And that's exactly what we did. And then people understood why it was called Spork. <laughs> it was because it was. It was uh even though people at first people didn't get it, I have to admit that they're like Spork, like what the, what is that? Like what the hell? Like <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, they didn't it, get it, but
0: on some level it doesn't matter what the name of your night is. You know, I mean if you curate a vibe and you have solid talent coming through and <clears throat> and you create a following, the name of the night's gonna take care of itself. It doesn't you know
1: Yeah, we I think the first guest we had out was Demarcus Lewis, and that was like in February of I think twenty fifteen. I, I, form I formed a collective of DJs years back and we were all around the world and it's called Beat Chemistry and that's where Beats with No Boundaries came from and it was because all of us played different genres of music and he's actually in that collective.
0: How did you how did you meet him down in down in Texas?
1: Um I met him actually down in Miami at Winter Music Conference. Okay. When there was a place for us at Winter Music Conference. <laughs> now there's not so much of a place for the underground house music to be played down at, uh, WMC because now it's, they had, they had ultra going on at the same time, but I met him down there at a little place, uh, a little hookah place. Trying to think of the name of it. It's not coming to me now, but, um, Oh, divine hookah lounge. And, uh, I met him there. He was DJing a party there and I think it was like the get, it might've been the guest house party. Okay. And that's how I met Demarcus, and then he found out kind of from there. He's like, oh, he's like, um, I see. You know, you, you play in a lot of places. He's like, you know, you do you do booking too. And at the time, I was like, yeah. I said I have you know a bunch of guys that I actually do bookings for too. As long as you know booking for myself, and so then I became his booking ma- booking agent for a temporary time period until I couldn't handle it anymore because then my workload for myself began began to grow. <laughs> And so all these guys branched off, and obviously you see they're doing very well. <laughs> how,
0: how long were you handling bookings?
1: Um, I handled bookings for about
0: uh, four years. Okay. You, you've you done it all?
1: Yeah, I have. I really <laughs> have. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the collective grew as big as 14, 15 guys.
0: And you were handling the bookings being, for all of them? Yeah. Was it all, was it all uh, in the States? Was it domestic or...
1: Yeah, all domestic, and then I had two gigs to two guys that were one was out of New Zealand, wow, and I would do some of his. So that, that was out there, and I would help him to manage that. And then we had one out of the UK that I would help. Um, but um, yeah, for the most part, it was all U.S.
0: Who all were you were you doing that with? I mean, who all, who else was on the crew?
1: Um, myself, Demarcus Lewis, Arturo Garces, Scrubfish, Crawl Maria, um. Jacob Priest, Corey Steers, oh, there's a long list of us here. Doc Link. Now you have me wanting to look it up here because <laughs> there were a lot of us. There, were, there, were, there, was, there, was a lot of us.
0: That's awesome though. I mean, that's kind of a unique idea though to take, you know, such a large and diverse group of artists and just say, you know, let's we're we're all going to be one collective. I mean, typically when you have a crew like that you know it's it's a handful of people with a really similar vibe with a similar backstory usually from the same place even or at least some common threads um so that's, that's just a unique story to hear you know that you took people from all over the country and try to represent them under one thing i think that's cool
1: yeah it, it, it was really cool it was it was really cool to uh, to be and be able to uh, uh go to their side of things too because how it worked also is that you would you you would, and then when you book them to going to your city, you know you would help them get into other cities, or they would bring you to their city and be able to do it. So it was also about networking too, so that we all built. It was kind of like you know helping build each other up sure. at, at the same time. Yeah. So like you know, no one's gonna no one's gonna do any of this unless you do it yourself. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much how it came out. No one's gonna sit there and you you know do it. You have to take the bull by the horns and do it yourself. So. um yeah, it was. It, it still is. Like I said, we're we're tight knit still, but you know, we we try to get the collective back together and try to get all of us. But you know, everyone's married, has babies, and <laughs> does doing their own thing right now. So it's kind of hard. But yeah, we're
0: still a close knit group. Um, okay, so you so you had that first night at at Smart Bar. How long did that run for?
1: That was uh, three and a half years.
0: That's a solid run.
1: Yeah really good real good solid run
0: and so through that i mean i'm sure that probably opened up a lot of doors for you
1: oh yeah it did And from there that's when i started getting booked a lot more around the country from there and getting invited to play festivals getting playing in portland playing in san francisco going down got to play in la san diego uh Vegas, and then 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 it started to go to the south, and I was playing in all of Texas along with the West Coast. I played Seattle once, okay. um, and uh, that was an interesting experience. <laughs> yeah, I played once. it once; it was it was fun, but it was an interesting experience.
0: It sounds like um, there's a story there, and I got to hear it.
1: <laughs> well, okay, um, I got booked to play. I won't I won't go into the venue name or anything. But I got booked to play a venue in. Uh, Seattle, and uh, I walked in, and they, it, everything was PV. It was like PV speakers, which are used for bands, mostly. You use that stuff for, you know, guys who set up for bands and stuff, so the, all the sound was PV. The monitors were PV. You really couldn't hear. It kind of it was distorted a little bit, which was fine. I was willing to work with it. No problem. You know, whatever. Okay. Well, the problem was with the sound, apparently, that they wanted the sound to be at a certain level. So, Um, we inched it back and so it wasn't at 12 o'clock, it got to 10 o'clock, you know, playing too loud. Okay, so from 10 o'clock, go to 9 o'clock, too loud. Okay, (laughs) now I'm now I'm going like between 9 o'clock and 8 o'clock. The sound guy comes up to me and says, Do you know how to EQ? I said, Yeah, I know how to EQ. I said, But normally, I said, you know, the DJ doesn't go touching the master. (laughs) <laughs> and going around and touching all kinds of things <laughs> Behind here To do, you know, to do this It's not really, you know, our thing You know, I said, but if you want me to By all means, do it, do your job Okay, I'll do it, fine, okay Let me back here <laughs> <Weird>. <laughs> Let me EQ it So I EQ it And uh, then he's like, you know He goes, if I have to tell you one more time He goes, you have to turn this down He's like, you know, he goes You're just gonna have to, you know, tell you You're not gonna play tonight and I said, okay. I, so I put it at seven o'clock on the on the, on the master. And that was acceptable. So I told everyone that was at that club, I said, okay. I said, Thank you, you can hear me. <laughs> I said, okay, everybody. I said, everybody just move in. I need you to move in, move in more, move in more, move in more. I said, we're gonna play like we're at my house. But we could play much louder at my house. I said, but for here, we're gonna have just a little house party right in here. I said we're just gonna get down, just to have a jam session mostly. So you guys feel me? They're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, cool. And so I played three hours at seven o'clock <laughs> with the with the mess down seven o'clock, and you, you could hear people talking to each other, but we all got down still though. We all jammed out. It was great. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I met some great people that night.
0: <laughs> what else are you gonna do? You're there. You might as well. You might as well make it what you can. You know
1: exactly. And a lot of people were like, "Oh, I would have walked out. I would have been." You know, I'm like, "No, I'm. I'm not that type of person. Yeah. I'm. I'm not. I make it work no matter what. No matter what the situation is. What happens. You know, you're not always gonna work with people who are. You know, are, are always gonna be." you know, in the same mindset you are when you go to a venue. It's their venue, it's what they want to do, and, you know, you try to accommodate that as best as you can. So at that point, I'm like, you know, if you want me to play with the master at 7 o'clock, I'm totally cool with that, fine. I can completely do that. (laughs) Then we'll just go that route with it. I don't think I like the fact that I I could talk to everybody and tell them, we're going to come in and bring it in because... (laughs) <laughs> and have like a jam session like we're at my house <laughs> but at my house it could be louder <laughs> and then but i'm pretty sure they probably didn't appreciate but but um uh, but then the owner th- and, and came up to me and he actually apologized and said you know he was sorry and sorry that the speakers had been blown and you know he he did apologize and make things right and you know and and so that that went a long way with me for for, for that but i'll but i won't say the venue yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah that's yeah i mean I, I promise you the vast majority of venues in seattle they like it loud like anywhere else so
1: yeah because i've been out there and i've been a monkey loft and stuff like that i've been out there oh and nice I
0: mean,
1: yeah i've been out there you know to hear And so i mean i know it's not like that it just was that particular venue yeah
0: so you know yeah. it Sounds was like a weird one-off you know, thing
1: yeah it was yeah it was off the beaten path a little bit so well <laughs> yeah we'll leave it that
0: that's funny um Cool. So, okay. So your, your smart bar residency ran, uh, you said about three and a half years. So through that, you know, opened a lot of doors for you, started touring. Um, so where in that does this production fit? Production
1: fit in between the time of touring, which was hard because I was booking my own things. Then also at the same time, trying to um, And actually, I should say the night that it was a resident night at Smart Bar, There was an actual resident of Smart Bar. It was a night a resident night of Smart Bar.
0: Sure. Um, yeah. Okay.
1: Um, let me distinguish those two.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. No, that's important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was I was booking my own gigs, and also at the same time, people were like you know you got top production, you got production, gap got production, and I'm like, where am I finding the time at? I'm booking for me, I'm booking for other people, and I'm still trying to get into the studio, and I'm like, it's not working. So I kept kept just pushing and pushing and pushing for DJing, DJing, DJing. And then finally I got picked up by a booking agency and I was able to alleviate the pressure off of that. So I was able to get more into the studio, especially this year more than ever I've been able to get into the studio. Because um, even first starting off with a booking agency, when you start off that way, still, you know, you still have to gain, gain momentum and get, get that, you know, get that following, you know, that's kind of, you know, really really broad out there you have to get that Where the places I was playing you know were different clubs here and there around the country and things you know it was now I'm able to go into a state and have a tour throughout that whole state sure now I'm able to go to the west coast and play out there for two weeks and then come back home and you know be able to visit some friends too but it was so it was so busy with DJing that finally this year was the year I was able to actually sit down and actually say okay I'm gonna start putting out eps now and i'm gonna put doing gigs to the back burner for a second <laughs> and i did i took a month and a half off and i all i did for the was it for the end of september all the way through most of november was all i did was production i sat in my studio and all i did was production the whole entire time
0: and that was and, just, that, was just, and that was just this year
1: yeah, like i I'd, I'd been fitting the production in where I could along the way. I'd done stuff on Restricted Access, and I'd done stuff on Sugar Shack Recordings, which is actually an online radio show that I do uh, on with well, every other Wednesday and every second and fourth Friday of the month. If I'm around town, uh, I'll do it. I'll do it on that station. But um, I'd done little projects here and there. But this year, I was actually really able to sit down and sink my teeth into a lot of different different sounds and a lot of different a lot of different processes of how I work and kind of get down something that works for me and or at least a pattern that works for me that I'm able to do both I'm able to actually you know still take the local gigs and still get the you know the nights of re, you know get get some resident nights going on and putting out music and yeah. putting out music that now I know I actually know how to produce and that I feel solid with putting out. Yeah. Things you put out earlier in your career and that, I think this is with every uh producer out there you're not as proud as the first, you know, the, the first music you put out, you're not as proud of what you put out, you know, as recently and that probably still holds to this day. Like what I put out now I'm probably going to look back differently a couple years ago and say, "Wow, well, I really kid it this this track. I probably can't that that's this track, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, this didn't really sound right, but
0: well, it's I mean, such a it's, steep learning curve. I mean, you probably had a little shorter of a learning curve than than some people because you grew up playing classical music and everything, and so you at least understood um, a lot of the theory behind everything, right? Yeah. And then exactly, you are going. And then you yeah. were going to parties for a long time before you even started DJing, and then DJed for a long time. So you had a lot of those building blocks in place already, as far as the structure of a dance track, coupled with some music theory knowledge. So I mean, that's a pretty powerful toolkit to go into it. But even still. Um, i mean just the basics of compression and eq and mixing down i mean there's so much that goes into that like your first few things you do of course they're gonna suck there's no way around it you know you just have to suck for a little while before you get good
1: (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and you never know until you try to put it out and um my production has gotten better and better with etp that i've done uh especially with the upcoming stuff that's coming out now it's gotten a lot better and I'm proud of the work, you know. That, not say you're not proud of the work you put out, then, but like, like I said earlier, you go and you look back on that and you're like, "Ooh, that kick really sounded like crap," or man, you know, that hi hat that really, that really could have been, you know, muted a little bit more, <laughs> really get soften that up a little bit. But yeah. it's trial and error, you know. Everyone has it goes through it through it. Even with vinyl, the some vinyl was, you know, if you came from. If it came from naked music, it was all smooth and it was nice and it sounded so mastered and everything. But then, if you got something that was off a white label and someone was doing it, it was, you know, it, it, it had that distortion in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it didn't sound as smooth.
0: So, well, I'm, not, I'm not saying that the, the quality of the production doesn't matter because, of course, that it does. But on some level, if it's a fire track, like the track's going to speak for itself and those examples of oh maybe i had a little bit too much top end on my kick or maybe that hi hat you know i could turn the decay down a little bit like those kinds of things nobody's hearing that but you you know yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> i mean exactly. the, if the track is good like you know your your average raver or your average your average club kid is not going to be like man that's an awesome track if that hi hat was just 3 db lower you know that's just not <laughs> that's not how regular people listen to music so um, so I think sometimes producers have a tendency to be a little bit too hard on themselves when it comes to their previous body of work, I guess is my point in saying that. Yeah,
1: you're your worst critic, so
0: yeah. <laughs> so so what year was your first release? Like your first actual the year the release? My first
1: release was probably twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, twenty twelve, twenty thirteen? It was on restricted access. It's called Creep Me. So, you have, um,
0: so you, so before taking this time to dedicate to production, you've still had releases, you know, fairly regularly for, that's us guess about five years then, yeah?
1: Yeah, but it it wasn't consistent where yeah. it was, yeah, so it was like you hear from me, you know, here's a track, and then for a while, you know, I, for a year I wasn't able to get in the studio, and then I would get in the studio, and then like, okay, here's two or three tracks I was able to do this year, and then the rest of the time I was touring and I was DJing. And then I would, you know, okay, here I'm going to go ahead and sit in the studio and I'm going to do four tracks and then I'm only going to put, put two out and then I'm going to go overseas and I'm going to play over there and I'm going to come back and take that inspiration and try to really get into it. I think that's what this year was about, finally going overseas and playing so much and being around so many different, and by being in so many different environments and different cultures and just so many different crowds and and meeting so many different people was able to kind of bring my sound together. A lot more organized, I should say, than it had been in the past.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, that at makes least sense. the sound. Yeah. So, do you produce with the same mindset that you DJ, like with beats without boundaries?
1: Yep, <laughs> the exact same way. I, um, I, uh, I, I like to. I like that. Like right now, I'm working on a track that's like it's like got like a house Chicago, Chicago house sound with with a Detroit base like okay. right now um it's it it's dark in places but it's still four on the floor mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a dark track but it's four on the floor though um it hits harder it's it's definitely more techy techno uh driven track um but yeah it has no bound. then the one before i did for that was like a funky house uh track that i did for a label and then i did a deep house track and then I did all vocals for a couple of tracks going down, and then some even some tracks now that are out. Those are still more four on the four. They're, they're more upbeat. They're like at 128 beats per minute, 125, things like that. But um, yeah, so now I'm, I'm all over now. <laughs> now there's really no restriction on what I'm producing now. It's kind of, I'm doing something for Native Soul right now, and their music is very deep and melodic and very, uh, can be sensual at times. Mm-hmm. And uh, doing stuff for them. So I had to completely switch up my sound and kind of, you know, go into a different mindset and a different mode to do the music. And it was fine because it challenged me. And that's what I loved about it. Mm-hmm. It was something that I, the track that I, I'm i working on is something that I would never, I, I would never, I, I would never to probably think of doing by myself, but um, it's good because it's been challenging me. <laughs> it's It's been good.
0: It's interesting that you've chosen to do all of that just under your name. Uh, I don't well. I don't know. Maybe I mean it, it makes sense, but a lot of people that I've talked to like to break it up. So like this alias is you know deep melodic stuff, and this alias is my more banging and more jacking stuff. Um, I guess kind of just a couple different ways to go about it. But do you find that having having everything under under your name has has made it hard to to carve out like a niche audience for yourself? No, not at all. That's awesome. Yeah,
1: most people say, you know, when they come see me, we don't know what to expect when you play. And that's what we love about it. We don't know what you're going to play. We don't know if you're going to take us on a straight techno journey for 45 minutes. We don't know if you're going to take us into, you know, straight, you know, just house jacking, like, on the floor, like, bouncing. You know, we know that you're going to take us through this journey, but we don't know when, you know, when you're going to do it. (laughs) i don't know how you're gonna do it but it's gonna be done (laughs) so yeah it it it, um it definitely goes side by side with my production and it it hasn't hindered an audience or anything from me or anyone's put me in any certain box they've always kept me yeah i've always been kind of i've always been outside that box
0: so what can we expect uh from you coming up it sounds like you've been hunkered down the studio you have a lot of things coming up
1: yeah um you could expect some releases coming out on uh let's see right now i have currently a release on uh, true house la um it's a rock shock ep um different um d- d- it's definitely a different sound kind of what i did for uh panama uh red recordings um which is kind of uh it's like quirky um, well i should say rock shock rock shock and great uh Grin grinder are very uh kind of spacey out their tracks. <laughs> and when I say that it's like four on the floor four on the floor moot jack and but it's like different sounds and like, boom 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 boom. So it's like really upbeat. Like if you take minimal and if you push it up, that's kinda what it sounds like. <laughs> that's the best way for me to describe it. Okay. Um, makes uh, uh, spec things for me. Um besides true house LA I have a track come up on native soul, the 10 year anniversary album that's coming up. Um, right now, currently I have a release out on thickest tree music, uh, which is owned by Jeff service, um, out of Arizona. And the EP is called taste it. Um, it features a vocalist, um, that I worked with, uh, the track tasted on, which is Lissa. Um, and, uh, she's, she's up and coming. So that's, that's a good, um, and then, um, uh, the other tracks i did fact Fact of life and uh uh there's another track on there (laughs) that i did um doing some stuff uh coming up with uh let's see natural rhythm uh worked with a vocalist out of la candace um who did some really sweet vocals for me um do for me is going to be called the EP Pluralistic Records which is owned by Nate Lawrence um, Say My Name is going to be the EP that's got some really good stuff that will be coming out on it um, and uh, there's one I'm I'm not supposed to say so I'm going to keep that one a secret but it's for a really awesome label and I know you're going to dig it <laughs> that's that, that's the biggest thing it's a label that i've always wished to be on and i've been blessed to be able to get on this label and coming up in 2018 you'll hear it and you'll know which one it is you're like oh man i'm like yeah so i'm gonna make it <laughs> out <laughs> yeah so yeah i'm excited about
0: that. that's awesome that's a ton of stuff going on though. a ton of releases and and the bulk of this work came out of that two-month studio session
1: yeah all of it did yeah two months yeah was going through and making music and then I also have my own label too so i also do stuff on beat thesis records and i have about seven releases on that right now um the latest one uh the latest one available is funk bump let's go i have a remix on that it's called the t-mix will confusion remix um it's getting some good play out there um And then, if you go on there too, you can hear my label. I have Acid House on there to Funky House to to Deep House. Um, Every artist brings something different to the table on on, on the label.
0: And then you still have, uh, you're still doing the radio show as well?
1: Yeah, I do um, Sugar Check recordings. I also do My House, Your House um, every two weeks, Thursdays from four to six. And then um, I also do a. It's, it's a collection, a series of collection of mixes that I do. It's called Beat Thesis. Um... It's a Beat Thesis podcast, which is like done one, two, and three, nice. four, five, six. And I post them up on SoundCloud and you can normally hear them. So we're at three right now, going to four next month, five, six, seven, starting to get them out there. So not the podcast is up yet, but like I said, it's, being, it's like a podcast, like mixtape series that I'm doing right now.
0: Okay, cool. That's awesome. I'm trying to think, Sugar Shack Radio, that sounds super familiar to me. I'm pretty sure... Um uh, what does she go by, Rebecca? Beat Hussy, I think. Has Beat Hussie, oh her. yeah. Yeah, she's, she's from yeah. Seattle. We have a lot of mutual friends. So
1: Mama bear, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool, well, it sounds like you have no shortage of work in front of you, T.
1: No, it's always something to do. Always something to do. I got a new night started tomorrow. Like, so that's after work sessions and um, it should be a good time. Should be, uh, it should be, it's really short, really early. Starts at eight o'clock, goes until midnight, 11 o'clock midnight around there and uh it's just good old just funk just some funk some disco some down tempo just some stuff that you can have a lovely evening with with your partner and go out and enjoy the smooth brown tempo grooves
0: (laughs) 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 um cool well hey before we wrap this thing up t do you have anything else specific that you want to cover
1: you can visit my website, <laughs> www.tmixwell.com, T-M-I-X-W-E-L-L. Um, that'll keep you up to date. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, any social media website you can pretty much find me on under that, <laughs> Twitter, Instagram. Uh,
0: and everything and, uh, is T-Mixwell?
1: Yeah, everything is T-Mixwell. Yeah, okay. And uh, for booking, if anybody's interested in booking, um, go to APT, APT Entertainment. Talk to NECA over there and she'll hook you up and know how to link you up and get a hold of me and we'll work something out.
0: Cool. Awesome. Well, hey T, thanks so much again. We'll talk to you later, okay? Okay, sounds good. All right, have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye.
1: The dance music diary. The Dance Music Diaries. Diaries